Hey friends, welcome to Boss Barista, the podcast about workplace equity and employee empowerment in coffee and beyond. I'm Ashley Rodriguez. I remember when I met Carlos de la Torre. It was 2019 at the World Barista Championships in Boston. The World Barista Championships, sometimes shortened to WBC, is the ultimate skills test for baristas. To be on the world stage means you've already won your country's national competition, and Carlos was at that WBC competing on behalf of Mexico. But that wasn't the first time for him being on an international stage. Carlos, who's the owner of a cafe, Café Avellaneda, and a roastery, Café Conjirabilla, in Mexico City, is one of the most decorated barista competitors ever. He's won more coffee competitions than you can count on both hands, and is always looking for another challenge, another avenue to explore his curiosity and love of coffee. At Café Conjirabilla, Carlos only sources coffees from Mexico. He's at the forefront of a growing movement that's encouraging a greater shift in value towards coffee-growing countries. That's a departure from what's come before. As in so many coffee-producing countries, and as a direct legacy of colonialism, most coffees are grown in one place and consumed in another. Much of the value of coffee is added as it travels through the supply stream. From importers to roasters to coffee shops, Much of the money coffee generates happens within non-coffee-growing countries. But folks like Carlos are looking to change that and to encourage people in producing countries to keep hold of their best coffee, to foster their own scenes and communities, and to help raise the next generation of coffee lovers. Here's Carlos. Carlos, I was hoping that you could start by introducing yourself. I am uh, Carlos de la Torre, and I, I am a barista from Mexico. I own a couple of coffee shops in a roastery. Maybe you know me for being a barista champion in a few years ago, 2019 and 2018, I guess. That's some of your accomplishments. Yes. Actually, uh, today I was thinking about 10 years ago, I won my first competition. It was the Cup Tasters competition. Yeah, I was looking at your Instagram account and you have some of your accomplishments listed. So you were a Cup Tasters competition winner 10 years ago, which is wild. You are a Brewer's Cup champion. You are a multi time barista champion and you are a coffee masters champion as well yes maybe that was the funniest one (laughs) so i want to talk a little bit about you and your background in coffee i almost always start these interviews by asking people what their childhood was like did they grow up with coffee did you grow up seeing others around you drinking coffee? I really wanted to talk about competition, so I'm glad that we started with that, just because you're such a decorated competitor. But I wanted to know, what was growing up uh, like for you? Did you see a lot of people around you drink coffee? We used to drink soluble coffee at home. <laughs> but Like instant coffee? Yeah. Yes, my, my father drink, drink a lot of coffee, since I remember. He's a doctor, and he regularly needs to stay awake and my mother she's a woman who loves making accounts 
all sometimes she she passed the night making numbers drinking a lot of coffee and coffee is very was very common at home but just uh, instant coffee until my brother he went to work to chiapas and his wife's family have a small farm mm. and then roasted and ground coffee start to came home and no one drinks that but we we had it and then i was looking into the kitchen and find this coffee i drank it thinking it was instant too and <laughs> it was awful um <laughs> maybe that's that was my first approach to to real ground bean coffee and then kind of step aside of drinking coffee i was more like into soda <laughs> i was a kid i mean what kid is it <laughs> yeah and but when when i turned 16 i was uh, attracted by coffee because i have an uncle with a small coffee shop around the corner from my home and every day when i was out with my skateboard he he asked me to to came trying to take me off the streets and he entertained me playing ping pong and drinking espresso and that that's when i started to enjoy drinking coffee and figure out how every shot was different and how each hand which makes coffee can make a different coffee even with the same machine and the same coffee because i started to pull my own shots I was like, why, why mine are crappy shots and my uncles are excellent espressos. <laughs> so I, I tried to get better. And sometimes I, I, I just came to the coffee shop to, to help him making cappuccinos and cortados and espressos. At what point did you realize that this was something that you wanted to pursue as a career? Like what was your... At what point did you decide, oh, I think I'm going to make my life around this? I always had it as a, as a hobby, even when I already have a small coffee shop in my town. Uh, it was like just an adventure, I don't know, a hobby. When, when I already had my coffee shop here in Mexico City, that was about maybe 11 years ago. And I was working and, and studying at the same time. My coffee shop got featured in a in a magazine. I was studying uh, philosophy, uh, and I started to think about. I've never been featured in anything about philosophy. <laughs> Maybe I'm not as good in this uh, in this realm than I am in the coffee one. And a few months after that, one of my <laughs> of my professors show us his his check his monthly check and i was like oh my god i'm not gonna live with that so i need to i, I need to be serious about coffee because that's my future even when i even if i want to to pursue philosophy i need something that helps me to have a, <laughs> a, a, have decent, a career yes a decent decent living because being a teacher in mexico it's kind of complicated in terms right. of, of incomes my father for example he he teaches at the university 
and he's like, this is just for my cigarettes. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's really low wage. So I want to back up a little bit. I want to make sure that I understand. So you, you were in college and you already had a coffee shop. Was that your uncle's shop that you were talking about earlier or did you open up something? No, I opened up something. Yeah. Okay. So that's a big, that's a big step. What (laughs) made you decide to open up a coffee shop in like what in college? Yes. Yes. I I, I don't know. I have a lot of time. (laughs) Yes. You know, when I guess maybe you don't have this problem, but I feel like sometimes I meet people and I'm like, they have more hours in the day than I do. Yes. I don't know how it is. And I feel like you must be one of those people because you have your coffee shop, obviously. You have a roasting business. You do all the green sourcing for your coffee business. I bought a bag of your coffee beans in Chicago. (laughs) They're available at a coffee shop called Dayglow, which I thought was really funny because Dayglow used to be about a mile away from my apartment. And I thought, this is the only place I can get this coffee from Carlos, and it's right around the corner from my house. But when I picked up the bag, it says roasted by, and it says the name, it was you. Yeah. Um, and you have a two-year, almost two-year-old child, and you're married, and you're like one of the most decorated Mexican coffee competitors. So I have to imagine that you have about like 70 hours in your day. Yes. Oh, there's a lot of people asking me about that because recently I opened another coffee shop with my wife and also another one with some friends. And I run like a coffee subscription by myself. And yes, my my day is like 70 hours, but (laughs) somehow I still have time for a Boss Barista podcast. I know, here you are. Yes. And a lot of things too. Because I'm pretty well organized uh, in my week. I I don't even roast each bag of coffee. I have true trusty roasters uh, with which I have a strong communication. And we we taste coffee almost daily together. uh, And we talk about roasting, about the the beans we have in stock. And I also have... uh, a lot of support from my wife and my father uh, for the business and for the children, for for the child. I, I think I can uh, extend my my day uh, because I have a a lot of people helping me. Yeah, that makes sense, and I'm glad that you mentioned the support team around you. But that's not to say that the things that you do don't take up a lot of time, but it's, but it's great to, it's great to hear people kind of acknowledge uh, where they get support and where they get their sources of inspiration. Let's talk about your coffee roasting businesses. So you have, so at one point, you know, you open up a coffee shop in college and you're like, this is the path I'm going to have to take because philosophy is not getting me, is not going to get me where I need to go. So how did you start to really take this more seriously? Like, what did that look like for you? When I opened up, uh, I don't even, I remember the first two weeks, I just sold two cups of coffee for a couple of of women who asked me to use my bathroom. That month, I entered my first competition. I was uh, placed in the last spot. (laughs) But the right people who helped me to to understand what I have to do if I want to 
be like a specialty coffee shop. I don't even know what what's that. When when my my coffee shop started to to like uh, gain attention from the the consumers, I really felt very very good and started to take it serious because I have a huge responsibility with them. I I really wanted them to to be satisfied uh, because the first time we were featuring a magazine, the 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 guy who wrote it, they make a promise about the place, and I I felt the responsibility of taking that promise to the to the customers. What do you mean promise? Like promise to like you were saying promise to the customers, like you would deliver a certain quality to them. Yes, every every time you get featured in any magazine. The the guy who who writes the the story sometimes are like putting the bar very high right. for you with your own business. So each article forces you to to get better. That makes sense. When did you start thinking about roasting your own coffee? The second time Mexico held the Cup Taster Championship. My cousin who worked with me and she wanted to compete, but she was kind of nervous about it. So she asked me to compete with her too. And I went just to support her. And suddenly I won that competition, not knowing anything about cupping coffee. Uh, so when I asked my friends who, who maybe were champions at a moment, uh, they, they suggested me to start copying a lot of coffee mm -hmm. to, to train for the world championship. I started to, to taste coffees, but realized that the, the best way to taste different roasts and beans each day is to start roasting myself. So I only started to roast to train for the World Cup Tasters Championship. And then you were like, I can do this. Let me start roasting my coffee for my coffee shop. Yes, that was weird because I used to to serve coffee from uh, a good friends who roast, but like it's like third generation roasters here in Mexico. They are pretty good at that. And then the the people started to ask, why don't you serve your own coffee? And I started to to put it like in a small grinder just as an option, and realized that the most of the customers want to taste what was roasted by the house. Right. I started to took that more serious and just roast for my coffee shop. That's when when Hiribilla came up because I used to roast about uh, with the, the Cafe Avellaneda brand, and it was weird because I serve my own coffee, I sell small bags of coffee at my coffee shop, but no coffee shop wanted to use my coffee because it's not regular the, that they use coffee from other coffee shop. You know. Oh yeah, I see what you're saying. But they do use coffee from another coffee shop. It if it has a different name. Right. So just to be clear, Cafe Avenida, that's the coffee shop, and then Hiberia is your roasting brand. Yes. When I met my wife, we I introduced her to the green buying world. She got captivated about the relationship with producers and she she wakes that interest in me. So that's why we we started a different project with Hirivilla. 
with the strong relationships and also trying to to give credit to the to the producer uh, maybe that's very common right now but six years ago it wasn't now we've actually i made i made a joke very very often about that because we have a strong relationships like from six or seven or even eight years buying the same coffee from the same producer and so so we only have like six different uh, farms and people ask about new coffees and that's that's very funny how people ask for new coffees each time they they buy a bag but also appreciate the long relationships because I cannot get new coffees if I don't end a relationship. It's it's weird. It's complicated to satisfy every single aspect of the roasting. Yeah, that is an interesting problem because I think you just put together a lot of different ideas, I think, that we have in coffee that longstanding relationships are very important. They're important to the future of coffee because farmers knowing where their coffee is going is incredibly important for their longevity. And people like that. People like it when we talk about these things, but then nice. people want new and different <laughs> and like exciting things. So like, how do you balance that? That must be really difficult. Yes, it's it's very difficult. What we have, for example, in Oaxaca, a group of producers who make uh, about six different coffees for us. And each year, some new producers want to go in into this group. So uh, we put them in the group and took maybe the, the highlights of the past year and released a single origin, single farm, single producer coffee. Uh, so the people can taste a new coffee that they already know in a blend of a community, but they can taste it by itself. So, oh, I love that. Yes, it's, it's like like maybe the the graduation for for that producer. Right. Now he has his own label. Right, right. That's a really great idea. I love that. I want to talk a little bit about coffee specifically in Mexico, and I was wondering if there are specific or unique challenges that you've noticed or learned about in terms of like coffee growing and coffee producing in Mexico, because you source only coffees from Mexico, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, I do enjoy coffees from other countries. You know, there's a few coffee shops in Mexico who made that and, and they source pretty good beans. The only thing I, I, I think it's, it's complicated is to have fresh beans all the year for them. Right. Like by the time it gets to them, it's already past crop. Yes. So that's why I, I don't want to, to put myself in that situation. And I prefer to support the, the local production. And also we have uh, a lot of regions which gave us different profiles and different conditions for producing coffee. Some when I started, uh, buying green coffee, the the harvest was between the second half of December and the end of February. But while the 
different coffee regions started to to produce better coffees and also the producers get better uh, information about how to handle the the entire cycle of of the plant now we have coffees harvest from the end of october until the last days of may so it's a very very long period that has allowed us to have uh, fresh coffee all year and i think that's one of of our strongest features for the mexican roasters the, we have a uh, fresh coffee and we have the influence of a, one of the biggest consumers which is the us that that's why we send coffee to the us roasted at origin i really think that's going to be a, a huge thing in the future the coffee roasted at origin because if maybe a roastery in us sources exact same coffee i have they're going to get it about four months after i got it yeah. so maybe i can send it fresher and have the best moment of that coffee in the bag that's something i was thinking about in terms of shortening the supply chain or thinking about the supply chain from the producer to the end consumer in a different way because like you said like keeping the roaster closer to the producer number one i i, I have to imagine i'm not 100 percent sure that means that more money goes directly to the producer because it doesn't have to go through as much supply chain logistics but two you're also able to send that coffee roasted pretty much immediately to the end consumer either like directly to a consumer or to a coffee shop that uses them yes and, and another good point of that is some coffees are kind of expensive for for the local consumer and for a lot of small roasteries like us uh, buying great coffees it's uh, risky because we can't get to the end of the year without moving that coffee because it's kind of expensive. But the foreign customers, they can pay for it easily. And they also promote this uh, excellent coffee from Mexico. And that kind of turns the, the light, this, the spotlight to, into Mexico, you know, because the best coffees are kind of expensive. They only go to, to consuming countries but they can go roasted by Mexicans in the best moment of the life of that bean. And then the, the consuming countries turn to, to the producers and start to source in a different way. That, uh, that just kind of happened with some of the coffees used in competitions. Right. It seems like Mexican coffee, especially in the last couple of years, people are starting to recognize, as you were mentioning, a lot of the biodiversity of all of these different regions. Um, I think when I first started in coffee, the only regions I knew that grew coffee in Mexico were like Oaxaca and Chiapas. But it seems like there's a lot more attention being paid to growing excellent coffee and how many regions in Mexico grow excellent coffee. Maybe it was eight years ago. Yes, about 2000. And it was when Fabricio took this coffee from Mexico to the world stage. It was 2010. 
So he was just a good be- people background. He was the Mexican barista champion that year, right? Yes. So he, he won in 2009 and went to London 2010. It was the first time, I guess, um, Mexican was competing with Mexican coffee. And he took a non-common region. It was Nayarit's coffee. Nayarit is kind of the north of Mexico. And it wasn't even common for, for locals. That's when, when, when the world realized there's no just Oaxaca and Chiapas. And when the, with the Cup of Excellence, other states like Puebla and Oaxaca started to, to shine a little bit more. And now it's, it's even more common or it's easier to find bags of Mexican beans uh, in single origin from Nayarit, Guerrero, and Puebla than Oaxaca and Chiapas. The most of Oaxaca and Chiapas go to a blend in, in, for the U.S. roasteries. I think there, there's uh, maybe three main factors to highlight the, the, the unknown co- uh, regions of Mexico. The competitions uh, of baristas, the cup of excellence, and the roasteries who are sending coffee to the U.S., I didn't even consider this fact when I thought about you as a, you know, you're an incredibly decorated barista competitor and you've been, you know, to the WBC a couple of times, the World Barista Championships a couple of times. And did you bring Mexican coffees with you each time you competed? Yes. (laughs) What was that like? Like, did you feel like a sense of responsibility when you were competing? Like I am bringing something of myself or I'm bringing something that's representative of something bigger? That's uh, pretty complicated to answer for me like now because I have an inner battle about that just in this moment. Because, yes, uh, I felt like a, I felt pri- proud and I felt a responsibility to bringing Mexican coffee into the stage. But now I, I, I cannot change my mind because as we understand the, the competitions, when you won the Mexican Barista Championship, you kind of turned into an ambassador of Mexican coffee. Right. But when you compete in WBC as a consumer country barista, you are competing to be the global ambassador of coffee, not just for a country. And for the producing countries, taking coffee from our own country to the stage, it's kind of weird because we are competing to be, again, just the ambassador of our coffee, but in a global level, but not the global ambassador. Maybe we, we kind of need to change that vision because, I don't know, I can uh, imagine how maybe, let's say I won the, the World Barista Championship. How can I be a global ambassador if I only use Mexican coffee? How can I be an ambassador for other regions in the world? It's, it's complicated to, to realize what, how to think about that. It's... Yeah, I see what you're saying, because it's like, that expectation is not put on consuming countries. Like yes. if you're the barista champion from the United States or if you're the barista champion from, you know, some Nordic country like Finland or Norway, like there is no weight of being 
there's obviously the weight of being the barista champion of your country, of course, but there's not a whole industry behind you of Mm. producers, of supply chain issues. Like there's not that very heavy weight. So I have to imagine the pressure on you is very, very different. I'm trying to figure out that actually, because I think, especially for, for countries like Mexico, who are developing uh, high quality coffees, but we don't have like the recognition of uh, Panama, for example, or Colombia, uh, or maybe Ethiopia. The Mexican barista or the person country barista of a underdeveloped scene, maybe have to to get uh, closer to the the coffees from other countries to put on the table the Mexican coffee at the same level of that other coffees. If we compete with, with Mexican coffee against baristas, with coffees from all around the world, we already saw the impact. But what if we competed with Mexican coffee, putting them at the same level on table just to, to recognize the value of your country's coffee? I don't know. Maybe right. th- that would be interesting because it's like setting a blind tasting for the judges in which they, they're they going to recognize in a positive way the value of the coffee from your country in comparison with other ones which are more common for them like Colombia and Panama. Right. So I think, I think, I think what you're saying is that there's so much improvement and there's so much beautiful coffee coming from Mexico, but it doesn't have the established reputation as coffees from Colombia, as coffees from Ethiopia. So when you give these judges coffees from Mexico, you can tell them like you should recognize how beautiful this coffee is and how far we've come. But like, this is an objective evaluation. So like you don't get to take that into account how much it's, Yes. how important it is that this is here. It's like, we're still used to like these coffees from Colombia or these coffees from Ethiopia or whatever, whatever one. Um, I actually think a lot of people used coffees from Colombia at the World Barista Championship this year. Mm-hmm. Um, like you can't compete with that. Like it doesn't have that same, it doesn't have that same like reputation. So yeah. it's like, I can come and be an ambassador and show you like how much like Mexican coffee has grown, but like, you're still not going to, you're still not going to award it first place. Yes, unless I put it aside of, of the same Colombia and highlight the, the virtues of Mexican coffee in that way. When was the last time you competed at the WBC? Was that in Boston? Yeah. I'm trying to remember the winners. That was the year that... Yeo Jung, yeah. Yeah, that's right. But I'm trying to remember the top six because I know... So one of the things I noticed the last time I went to the U.S. barista competition, so this was in 2020, this was right before COVID-19 kind of shut things down. Yeah. A lot of competitors used the same coffees. <laughs> yes. Yes, I And I, yeah, well, yeah, what do you think of that? Uh, again, that, that's, that's different for us because no one is going to take the same coffee that we can bring to the stage because they don't even know that coffee. It's like an underdog coffee 
what what we take to to the stage i i, I really think we, we as from producing countries we we need to make the effort to think as producing uh, consuming countries baristas we maybe need to to change that that kind of vision right right yeah it's interesting that you have like this almost like duality of like I want to just compete as a barista. I just want to be recognized for my talent and my skill that I know that I have. But at the same time, because I'm from a consuming country, there is an expectation that yes. I will use a coffee from where I'm from. No, in the responsibility. But but also, and that's the most beautiful part about being a Mexican barista, you also have this duality of being like super close to the U.S. and super close to the other con producing countries. So you are right in the middle. You're like half and half. You have proximity to trends in coffee. You can go to the expo. You can go to regionals if you want in the U.S. and see what's happening. But you can also go to the backyard and harvest your own coffee. So it's kind of very special situation that we have here in Mexico. And it's some of, of this, this duality you mentioned is what, what is kind of shaping the Mexican coffee scene. Yeah, that's a good point. Something to think about too, and I think that you're, you've mentioned it a couple of times, is that, you know, the, I'm in the U.S. Like, I think I can, I can pretend this is a global podcast, but, and <laughs> I think there are people listening all over the world, but I think most of my listeners are in the U.S., and a lot of people will ask questions like, where should I buy coffee from? Or like, how do I buy coffee ethically? And that's a very complicated question. There's obviously no one way to say that. But Mexico is right there. Yeah. Like, we should be buying more Mexican coffees because if we're thinking about our environmental impact, like, that is like the closest we can really get to it. Um, but it doesn't it doesn't feel like that's like what's in front of us most times. Like I said, uh, with your coffees, I could only get your coffee at one place in the U.S. <laughs> um, hopefully that's going to change soon. But um, but it's just interesting to think like you do get this proximity of like you can go to the U.S. and go see a competition. But then you could also go visit a farm and like we should take advantage of like that 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 closest that proximity. We need to, to explore this. Why why the U.S. doesn't have a lot of Mexican beans, even when we are like neighbors? I, I have a good friend who who sent coffee to to different uh, roasteries in the U.S. and Canada, and he found out it was easier to take the coffee to Canada and then to the U.S. than going straight to the, the U.S. I mean, that's very politically charged. Yeah. Right, which is part of the problem. Um, I think I think the first time we met, we met. I think at did we meet in Mexico? I don't think I knew. I watched you compete, but I don't know if we met in Mexico. No, no, we met in the U.S. We met in Boston yeah. um, in 2019, and that was the year you were the you were the Mexican barista champion that year. You came to the U.S., but the Brewers Cup champion, who I believe is one of your employees, yeah, couldn't come. Yeah, because of a visa issue. Yes. Yeah. Then the second place person also couldn't come. Yes, and and I think the this guy Carlos, he he now works for another company, but I'm pretty sure uh, 
he couldn't make it in the next years too. Uh, so he he still haven't performance in the world stage. Is there anything that you'd want people listening to this podcast to know about you or about Coffees from Mexico? Anything that you'd want people to take away from this conversation? I really want to encourage people to to buy Mexican coffee and discover the flavors and the varieties we have. Take the, the risk of getting that coffee directly from Mexican roasters because we have a, a lot of skilled roasters and I can tell you, we keep the best beans. The best beans always stay in Mexico and you can have amazing cups of Mexican coffee if you just take the the moment to wait for your coffee because sometimes it's like the it took one week to to travel the coffee from Mexico to maybe New York if you buy a couple of bags on my online store but it's going to be worth the wait because we have fresh high quality coffees we have very skilled roasters and somehow the 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 delivery have improved a lot during the pandemics, so the times are shorter than before. And it's going to change how you you see the the coffee scene if you taste by, roasted by our own hand. I've tasted the same coffee roasted by us and by other roasters. It's the 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 travel itself of the green bean uh, modifies the humidity, the water activity. So when when you have it here, you can roast the coffee at the perfect stage of its life. Right. And then so, uh, something that I want to think about too is that if you order a coffee in the U.S., like let's say I order from a roaster here in the U.S., they're going to roast it, package it, and ship it to me exactly the same way that you would. So it's not like there's anything different happening when you're bagging and like shipping it. Cause I think like you were saying, people might be a little bit like, Oh, it's going to take a long time to get to me or whatever. It's like, no, you actually have the greatest advantage of being as close to the coffee as possible when those conditions of humidity and storage really do matter. Yes. And, and I, I'm pretty sure if you are maybe San Francisco based and you buy a coffee from Cafe Con Jiribilla in the web shop, you're going to get that earlier than if you buy from a roaster in New York. Yeah. I love that there's so much more roasting happening in country. Like, I think that that's something that I've learned a lot about recently. Um, I think you know Vera, uh, Vera Esmondola Rafael, who's also been on the show, and she talks a lot about bringing a lot more of the coffee supply chain of like roasting and consumption into coffee producing countries. So I'm, I'm glad that you're talking more about that, about. Yes. Uh, uh, it started to grow a lot. And even uh, myself, I was tired of just tasting uh, Cafe Con Jiribilla all the time. And uh, <laughs> maybe one and a half year ago, I say, okay, let's taste different roasters and i started to taste roasters and also started a, like some sort of a coffee blog about other coffees which are not mine and that turned out to to be a a coffee subscription so now uh, i have the fortune of 
of being able to share the the coffees I taste each month with with a pool of subscribers, and and yes, I've tasted like maybe you can't imagine how many roasters are in Mexico. Maybe I tasted a hundred and twenty brands the last year. Wow! And that's specialty coffee. So so it's it it grows very quick because it's also very easy to start a business in Mexico. If you want to roast maybe in, in other countries like US or you know, maybe, I don't know, Netherlands, opening a roastery, it's a huge deal. You need to get a specific space to roast. You, you need to all the coffee to, to your location, to your warehouse. And in Mexico, you can even, you can print some labels at home by maybe 50, 50 coffee bags and two kilograms from a local producer and then rent a roaster just for two hours and you can make your own brand of roasted coffee. I mean, you started a coffee shop in college just yeah. because you had time. Yes, it's very easy. And that helps the, the scene to grow very quick and also to to get gain a lot of experience. We have a lot of baristas who are also bean roasters and or even producers. Yeah. Well, Carlos, thank you so much for taking time to talk to me. I feel like I learned so much about you and how you have a bajillion hours in your day. Um, so uh, I really appreciate you finding a couple more hours to talk to me. It was a pleasure. I really enjoyed this this conversation. It was maybe one of my career goals to, to be in the show. <laughs> oh, that's silly. No, it's for real. I'm a, I'm a fan of, of Barista Podcast. Yeah, I always recommend oh. it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> that was Carlos de la Torre, owner of Cafe Avellaneda and Cafe Conjiribia, both in Mexico City. Order some coffee from Carlos if you're listening, if you're still at the end of this episode. You can do so by going to www.cafeconjiribia, J-I-R-I-B-I-L-L-A.com and ordering a bag. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. I'm just looking for a better day. Boss Barista is produced by me, Ashley Rodriguez. You can find a transcription of this episode on my newsletter, along with an accompanying article about this episode every Thursday at bossbarista.substack.com. To support the show, you can visit www.patreon.com bossbarista. We have over 80 patrons supporting the show right now, which is incredible. And that helps keep the show alive. We pay guests through this fund, we pay for website hosting, and we make donations. Half of our patron donations are currently pledged to five different nonprofits, each at $50 a month. Asada's Daughters, the Loveland Foundation, the Native American Rights Fund, the Grocery Run Club, and the Chicago Community Bond Fund. Again, if you want to support Boss Barista, consider making a monthly donation at www.patreon.com slash bossbarista. Another amazing way to support the show 
is to share this episode with just one person, a friend, someone who you think would learn something from this episode, anybody. Sharing on social media is also a huge help, along with giving us a five-star review on Apple iTunes. As a small production, these things matter a lot. So if you can take a little time, share out some of your favorite quotes from this episode, and tag us. That would be amazing. We're at Boss Barista Podcast on Instagram and Boss underscore Barista on Twitter. You can also send me an email at bossbaristapodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.